Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining me on this Thursday, July 14th in the locker room. I'm Alan Locker. Beth Maitland made her debut as Tracy Abbott on the CBS daytime drama, The Young and the Restless, back in 1982. And three years later, she won the Emmy for Outstanding Supporting Actress for her role. Beth is here today to celebrate the 40th anniversary of her marvelous debut. She received a second Daytime Emmy nomination for her work in 2019. She recently appeared in the film number two and appeared in an Emmy-nominated episode of Criminal Minds. She also portrayed the deaf school principal both signing and speaking her role in Mr. Holland's opus with Richard Dreyfuss and Glenn Headley. And we have a connection that I can't wait to talk about. Another highlight of her career was appearing with Carol Burnett and Hal Holbrook in an ABC production of Plaza Suite and an opera singing episode of Love American Style Reboot with Tony Dow. This past June, The Young and the Restless marked the 40th anniversary since YNR fans were first introduced to Tracy and her sister, Ashley Abbott, played by Eileen Davidson. I was 16 when Tracy was first introduced, and I was a big fan of hers and the entire Abbott clan. It is my pleasure to welcome Beth Maitland to the locker room. Hi, hey, Beth. Alan. Hi, everybody. Hi, hi, hi. I'm so glad hey. to be here. I'm so thrilled to meet you and have you here. Congratulations. Thank you so much. What a what a milestone. What an amazing celebration we're having. And uh, we'll talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, when you, you know, when you think you made your debut as Tracy 40 years ago, it, it, does that blow your mind and that you're still playing Tracy <laughs> in 2022? <laughs> you know, it's a, it's the strangest thing because it didn't, it, I, I, um, you and I were chatting backstage and, um, I have not been under contract with the show for 30 years of those 40. <laughs> so I was brought up, I was let go from contract, but kept coming back recurring after the first 10 years. So that I still, I, there's only been one actress to play the role. They never brought anybody else in to play it, which I'm thrilled about. Um, and I was always available at the times that they were calling me back and, and the last few years, I have been back on a very regular basis and thrilled for that as well. But, but um, I, it didn't it didn't hit me honestly that this much time has passed until we actually had the episode. There was a standalone episode for Eileen and myself, and they um, we didn't get to see when we taped it. They were scripted. We were told there were flashbacks and they, you know, with whom and the dialogue, some of them I didn't even remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But um, 40 years is a long time. But um, when when the show actually aired and we got to see the Rollins and our young faces, both mine and Eileen's very first scenes on air were included in the flashbacks with Jerry Douglas when we were being introduced as new characters to the show. And he was coming to pick us up at our schools. Uh, She from college and myself from um, boarding school, high school. 
we were both graduating and he came and got us and brought us back to the canvas, uh, introducing the Abbott family as a whole. And um, there were things that uh, were, you know, that all of a sudden came up, even in the way the script was managed, where we got to talk about these things. It was a perfect vehicle being able to tell our stories and share our history with our new young Abbott, Allie, our new character. Um, and, and so it, it also provided us opportunities to sort of amongst, you know, with, with Peter Bergman and Jason Thompson, we were able to kind of reminisce a little bit personally. And then they had the lunch hour on the day that we taped that episode, they had a little party for us <laughs> and people came from our past and from our core of, of um, cast currently um, and, and gave speeches and said lovely, amazing things. And it just became overwhelming. It really flooded in how significant 40 years in one spot is Peter Bergman in his little, he emceed the afternoon and he, in his speech said, you know, in, in any um, business, if you were a banker or if you worked for IBM or if you were in tech or, or, uh, you know, had a, uh, some other corporation or any other career where you served 40 years as a milestone, but in show business, it's pretty much unheard of. <laughs> and uh, soaps is the only place that provides something like that. Even news or talk shows, people come and go and to have been one place in one role for that amount of time. And then he said, you know, and also for women, um, it, it mm. is just amazing milestones for both Eileen and myself. And we had a great celebration and very emotional. Diamant <laughs> <laughs> came across the hall from Bold and the Beautiful and went on and on and on about, <laughs> about our past and how much fun we all had working together and uh, so many lovely things. And so all of a sudden, then it sort of be started to become real that this is, this is significant. This is a pretty amazing thing to look back on our young my, our lives flashed before our eyes in that episode <laughs> there's that great um, promo about the that episode like a two-minute clip on youtube that i had just watched today that just with all a lot of those flashbacks which were incredible with eileen and jerry and michael damien um and, and just the way you introduced it and and um ended it as well, uh, uh, be, being young and restless or something like that. It, it really was beautifully done. All the fans are saying hello to you. Christine Miller says hi to Beth from the Rex Miller family. Um, so many, so many wonderful messages. I can't believe I read that you didn't even have an agent when you auditioned for the role of Tracy. I didn't. I, I've spent my life doing everything kind of backwards. And <laughs> that's okay. it's, just, it's just my style. Now it's my signature style. <laughs> No, I, I it was, worked for you. <laughs> so good. Um, there were bumpy spots, believe me. Um, I was working in a casting office. I was doing a play at night, but I had um, my high school drama teacher. I grew up in Scottsdale, Arizona, and my high school drama teacher had moved to Los Angeles before I did. And when I when I moved here, I babysat her kids while I was waiting tables, trying to break in as an actor. Her next door neighbor was a casting director and her next door neighbor, they needed someone to sub over Christmas for some people going on vacation. 
So I made a promise to them that I would not, they knew I was wanted to be an actor and I made a promise. I would not, you know, no conflict of interest during the day. I won't um, promote myself, but at night it's my time. So I was singing in nightclubs and I was doing a musical, um, a play. And so this agent saw me in the play and came into my office to pitch his clients for some project. And he said, you know, you would be perfect for something that they're casting. I can make a call if you'd like and set up an appointment. And I asked permission and they said, yes. So on my lunch hour, I had a friend come in and answer phones for me (laughs) on my lunch hour. I went to the Young and the Restless and auditioned and got called back the next day, read for the producers. And in a couple of days, they called me for a screen test, which I did after work. And all of it happened inside a week. I think my first audition was a Tuesday. And on Friday, they gave me the job and called me to uh, come for a a wardrobe fitting in the afternoon. And I started on the following Monday. So uh, my life was utterly changed in under a week. Head spinning. Mm-hmm. Head spinning. And <laughs> you screen tested with the man who would go on to play your father, right? That's, Jerry that's Douglas. Right. That's right. And hilarious, Jerry Douglas. Not only did I screen test with him, he rehearsed with me and he told me how I should do it. And he gave me notes. And the rest of my life with Jerry Douglas was exactly that. And with everyone he worked with, he just took over. He was the dad. He he interfered in our lives. He gave us advice, unwanted or not. <laughs> he was magnificent. And missed. Everybody so. misses. Everybody misses him. Um, You know, earlier where you said, you know, under contract those first 10 years, when you lost that contract, did you ever think the next three decades you would still be playing her at that at that particular moment when it was taken away? You know, there's a funny thing in show business <laughs> uh, that uh, when you're out of work, you feel like you'll never, ever have another job. And I always the phrase I always use is, well, I guess I'm out of show business again. <laughs> I'm out of show business. Oh, that's a good way to. Yeah, it's a good about 14000 times I've been out of show business. But, um, but, you know, every single time there's nothing on the calendar. I think it's the last time I'll ever show up, which is what I talked about uh, on that little celebration uh, lunch uh, party. Every time I walk into that building, uh, uh, playing Tracy and being in that building and walking into that set, um, it, uh, it may have actually been in some clips that are on YouTube of that little party we had, but the walls of the Abbott living room are the exact same walls as my first day. Those are 40 year old wallpapers <laughs> uh, and that the chandeliers are the same ones. We've, I think they've got new furniture, but aside from that, the paintings and the, there's a sculpture, like a relief of something Grecian, all of that stuff is the original from 40 years old, 40 years. I've been walking into that room. All I need is my toothbrush. I really I mean, feel like it must really, really feel like home. Exactly right. And on a molecular level, I mean, I, I walk into that. I have been there longer than I lived in any house, longer than I <laughs> knew any person except my parents and my sister. I, I have been in that building playing that character in those walls longer than any other through line in my life. And I, I it's where I feel the most complete. Wow. Um, I want to read a few things, you know, as I told you backstage, it, you know, I, I grew up on CBS shows. I loved Tracy, I, but to see, because I have not watched all these years, but to see the love for you, you know, while I was promoting uh, this show today, 
really has warmed my heart. Yeah. Um, Katie Haynes said, when I was growing up, Tracy was one of the few soap opera characters who looked like me. The character struggle with weight was something I could relate to way too much. And when I started interning at YNR, I was cautious about meeting Beth since I admired Tracy so much, but Beth could not have been nicer. David Kimball said, the consistency of her portrayal of this character is a true testament to the terrific actress she is. Eric says, Beth still looks adorably as young and sweet as she was 40 years ago. I saw her recently on YNR and it was as if time had stood still, yet her character has advanced greatly. Tracy has come so far. Yeah. Ronnie said, absolutely love Beth Maitland. As Tracy Abbott, she is the heart, soul, and conscience of the Abbott family. Wow. And Mike says, I love her. One of the most genuine actors to ever grace the screen. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot of love. I might be tearing up just a little. <laughs> but then that's my, that's also my signature. But um, <laughs> I, I um, Well, Tracy's cried for years. <laughs> it, it is, it is utterly overwhelming. And I think, um, I think largely uh, all of this is possible and as a result of Tracy being one of the only characters on daytime that was a real person that people could, and it doesn't have to only be about weight, but they, they could in the eighties and nineties, they could look at that girl and it wasn't this gorgeous model looking woman she was a girl playing a normal person with normal problems and normal challenges and insecurities. And, and if it wasn't that you're, if it wasn't a weight issue, it's that you're had, you know, a bad complexion or your hair was too curly or your ears stuck out. I mean, there's, everybody has little things about themselves that were challenges at some point or other in their development. And Tracy represented all of that, all of the realness of just trying to navigate a really difficult time of growing up and maturing and having a successful life. And although there were very soapy stories like diet pill addiction and there was a bulimia storyline every summer, there was something that kind of focused on weight or acceptance. Um, the evil mean girl, Lauren, you know, sabotaging poor Tracy at pool parties, tank suits take on a whole new meaning, Tracy. I mean, we have Tracy Bregman and I are, as you know, really, really good friends. And it was harder on her, I think, than it was on her. <laughs> Because she would never in a million years as a person say those things. It also speaks to her abilities as an actress to be able to play that main character. She, there's not a mean bone in that girl's body. <laughs> so, um, though, but all of those kinds of stories, I think, are the kind of things that every single one of us, every one of us, if you are honest with yourself, you have experienced those doubts. And it was so uh, refreshing, amazing, unusual to have a character represent those things on a daytime drama and in a family, which was poetical and intended, that was about beauty and Javot cosmetics. It was all about beautiful Ashley and handsome Jack and powerful John. It was all about people that function in a commercially acceptable way in the world. And then there's Tracy who just is lost. And so the way that she has kind of found her way through all of these decades that she's found her way through personal tragedy, through great loss, through great pain, through misunderstanding, you know, never being able to have a successful marriage, never having things work out the way she thought for her to be able to be an island 
in that glamour world of daytime, I think I was really responsible for why I have been able to grow her up and why she is everybody's shoulder to cry on and advice seeking, you know, go to Aunt Tracy. Let's ask Aunt Tracy. <laughs> Maybe she'll know what to do. I mean, I, I am so honored to play a character like that. That position. Layered. Yeah, well, and and that position in the overall scope of a story, you have to have villains, you have to have, you know, romantic stories, male and female, you have to have sexy, but you also have to have that moral compass. And we lost ours with Jeannie Cooper's passing. Jeannie Cooper, Kate Chancellor was sort of that, that filled that role in Genoa City. And I think the show kind of wandered and struggled looking for someone to, no one could ever replace her, but someone to fill that gap of everyone went to Kate Chancellor with their problems and Kate Chancellor, whether they were invited or not, went to them and told <laughs> them what to do. <laughs> so I don't think, <clears throat> I don't think it's the same, but I think it is uh, a place where Tracy fits now in the modern canvas. I love that. And I love you, you, you just saying the name. I had not heard Jabot Cosmetics in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Brought back a lot of memories. Yeah. Um, Catherine had asked, which I thought was a great question. How much uh, how much of Beth Maitland is Tracy and how much of Tracy is Beth? Well, it, in the olden days, it was completely different on the spectrum. Obviously, we any actor draws from their own life experience. So there are things about the character you play that are just like you. But in the olden days, I was way more confident than Tracy, way more um, cheerful and positive and hopeful than Tracy. But as time has gone by, and in, especially in the last few years, I would say that I'm just um, phoning it in. <laughs> I just learned my lines. Everything else is there. The relationships over years with each of my family members and the people, the other characters in Tracy's life in Genoa City, all of those relationships are so established that we just look in each other's eyes and everything is there. Um, uh, and I am much more like Tracy is now in my in my life now as well. So very close right now. It falls into place. It just clicks now when you walk onto that set. Yeah. When, you know, back 1982, you debuted, when did it hit you that Tracy and the Abbott family were resonating and making an impact with the audience? Um, it, it, it was an, I mean, I was really young. Eileen and I both, we were really, really young, early twenties. And, and Terry had, Terry Lester was the original Jack and he had been there for a while. And even Jerry Douglas, they had had briefly a different John Abbott and it didn't work out. And he was only there briefly and they wrote him out. They waited for a time and they brought Jerry Douglas in and he also had just clicked with uh, Terry Lester. So um, they, he had been there six months or so. So they were already starting to build this family and there was great, energy by both of those male actors, by Terry and by Jerry, to make this all work. And so when we started, Eileen and I started, we Terry would have us over on Friday nights. Um, he was a fabulous singer and concert pianist. And we would all, you know, sing around his piano and have dinner together and get to know each other and laugh and, you know, find out who we were to build what I just described earlier as those 
hard earned relationships where everybody really is believable as family members. And they worked really hard, those gentlemen, to see that that happened. And it was pretty quick to answer your direct question. Within, by, by the end of the summer, um, I thought I was only going to be working there for about three months. Um, they signed me to a contract, but it was with a three-month option. And I thought I was basically a summer storyline. By the end of the summer, it was pretty clear that the Abbots were becoming established. And um, I had on the only soap I ever watched, unlike you, Ellen, um, <laughs> I, I had only watched Dark Shadows on my, on my ah, okay. <laughs> And nice. I, got meet, I got to meet David Selby recently. He was, my daughter's a, a, a classical musician and he was doing the Lincoln narration beautifully performed um, for, for a concert she was in, an Aaron Copeland piece. And uh, I got to meet him because it was super fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, Terry Lester would love that your daughter's doing that, wouldn't he? Yes, he would indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh Anyway, uh, it was pretty quick. I would say that um, three months, six months, we were pretty established and it looked, the, and the build be, kept going. And uh, within a few years, we were uh, a really significant and integral part of the canvas at Gen in Genoa City. You know, for decades of playing this character and, and fans following your journey, what has that meant to you? There are fans that I still am in communication with on social media, especially, which is the has, you know, the burgeoning social media connection has made relationships so much easier to maintain. It's not a fan letter that takes months to get past the filters. Mm -hmm. And then I answer and or not or, you know, when there's the, social media is a really effective tool like that. There are people that have been watching since the first day that I'm still in touch with that I'm in, uh, friends with on, in social media uh, areas, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that private message me. There are people that have um, that I know that are, I've kind of become friendly with that I have have always communicated with me from early fan letters. Same name. Now we just do instant messaging. So um, it it's it's amazing. It it's unbelievable that we've all watched each other grow up. We've all been raised together. We've all it's a different canvas daytime than any other kind of entertainment. I think that we're in the we talked about this really quickly backstage. In the olden days, we were in your living room five days a week, and it was in real time. There was no way to even record it. When I first started, VCRs were just starting to hit the home market. It, no one could record yet. So they had to tune in or they missed it. And there's no reruns, which was so much fun about the legacy period of stories of, of shows they brought back. We talked a little about this too, during the beginning of COVID when everybody was shut down, everybody mm -hmm. was at home and we didn't know what to do. And the only place people were going to were television and the internet for entertainment, but also facts and updates and keeping kind of their fingers on the pulse of what was going on in our terrified world. Young and Restless started bringing back all of those legacy stories. One week it was all Abbott's and one week it was all Emmy winners. And one week it was all Newman's and one week it was all weddings. And it was all of these, they don't rerun soap operas. So it was a reminder of our proud history and the impact. I mean, it doesn't all hold up and some of it's kind of dated and certainly the hair of the eighties. Yeah. <laughs> I miss so much. If I had invested <laughs> Aquanet, I would be a millionaire. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, Seriously. But, I mean, there are things that date the the shows. I mean, if you watch the 40th anniversary, oh, my cat wants to be on TV. <laughs> um, uh, the, uh, the, there are things that totally date that stuff. But um, but I think by and large, it does not detract at all from from the stories we told and tell, the impact we have on our fans and how they feel like we're part of their family and how much we continue to embrace each other. It's that without fans, there would we would certainly not be on television. I mean, it, we've watched the change from the 80s when there were 12, 13, 14 soap operas on television and we're down to four on national broadcast on, on the major networks. And four, I mean, that's a significant changes in the world. And, mm -hmm. and we're still here and they're still watching. You're all still, still watching. Thank you. And they it's are. what keeps us, it's what keeps the world spinning. For sure. You know, I'll never forget those early years when Tracy and Danny Romilotti would sing together. You shared an amazing story on the Digest podcast about what led to your singing on the show. Please share that again. I, I, I First of all, that person, everybody should thank, but please <laughs> share that story. And, and, and that, that Super Bowl Digest podcast must have been a long time ago because I, I, it wasn't super recent because I rarely tell that story. It's kind of a secret. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. But I, I listened I can, to it because I was curious to hear some of you know, your stories. So. Yeah. And I can tell you the guy's name is Doug Hayden. And he's Oh, you did because you didn't share Doug it then. <laughs> Hayden. Thank you, Doug. Everyone, thank you, Doug. Yeah. Um, Doug. Doug worked in the office at the time. He ended up being one of our stage managers. And then he went over and worked at Bold and the Beautiful for many years stage managing. A stage manager is the person on the stage actually just off camera counting down five, four, three, two, one action, and also managing that everybody's ready, that everybody's where they should be. They check us every morning. They unlock all of our dressing rooms and they're the last person to leave at night. They are the absolute heartbeat of what happens on the stage. So anyway, uh, I, um, I can't remember how he even knew. I think it's because when I was, I was doing a musical when I was hired and he had heard that I sang and I had a little, he asked for a tape and I gave him one and he put it I was just brand new Tracy Abbott and it was going to be, uh, you know, about weight story. He put my little cassette tape, remember those? <laughs> mm -hmm. And in the overnight packet to Chicago and didn't say it from whom it came. He didn't mark it. He just put it in for Mr. Bill Bell, who at the time lived in Chicago in those early years. He and his family lived in Chicago and Lee Bell had her own talk show, a local Chicago talk show. And so the, the children and the family all lived in Chicago and came back and forth. And um, so every night they got an overnight packet from the show with the tapes, the dailies of the episodes and things like that. Doug slipped it in and Bill Bell got the tape and didn't know what it was, put it in a cassette player and found that it was me singing. And the next thing we knew, uh, Tracy was being discovered by Danny Romilotti and asked to sing on stage. And some of the camera operators, I still work with a couple of them when I do my other job. I work in production also on sitcoms. And every now and then I'll, I'll run into a couple of guys that used to work on the show all those years ago. And um, they all have a similar story. The first day, that we did the big concert where Danny invites Tracy up on stage for the first time ever to sing. And they all were going, yeah, right. And so they start the music and I started to sing. And he said that every one of us on all four cameras went like this. 
<laughs> to look around our camera to make sure it was really her singing. So it was so sweet that I actually, I sang with the Lyric Opera Company for two years before I moved away from Los Angeles, uh, from Scottsdale, Arizona. And I studied music theater in school and I had been taking voice lessons for, you know, a decade by the time I got the job. So uh, that it was, it was hard earned that I could sing, mm -hmm. but I really could. And apparently it wasn't expected. So <laughs> where did your, your love of music and acting come from? Um, I, I don't know. I was raised by wolves, I think. <laughs> I, um, I, uh, when, when I was the age you started watching soap operas, Alan, um, I, in those days, they call it a lock key children. They called them us lock key children. We would, it was a different world and it was much safer. And so we would, both of my parents worked. My, my dad played piano. Although he wasn't a concert pianist, he played piano. We had a piano at home. My mom sang at church, you know, doing solos and sang in the choir. So there was music in our home. And um, after school every day, instead of watching after, because it was after school, so Dark Shadows was already over. <laughs> I would watch, instead of reruns of TV shows, I would watch old movies of the 30s and 40s. And became a huge fan of um, movie musicals, MGM musicals, um, Judy Garland, Mickey Rooney, Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire. Huge, huge. And I knew every lyric to every musical. We had the vinyl and I would I wore out albums singing along to Julie Andrews and whomever. But um by the time I got to high school, uh, I, at 13, I did a summer workshop. I did my first play when I was 13 years old. And I knew instantly that that's where I fit. Like Tracy, I personally found it easier to be in someone else's skin than it was to face the difficulties of growing up. You know, it's hard to be teased and to be, you know, just to get through, to navigate mm -hmm. friendships and boyfriends, whatever it is, you know, it, it's difficult. And I found it easier to be a character that someone had already figured out for me and just really gravitated to performing. Incredible. Do you have a song that is your standard go-to to sing? Um, I, I have, I have acts, I have cupboards full of sheet music, but um, I don't really have one song, but I, they're mostly old standards. And uh, the, at the last charity event I went to, I took my dad and somebody paid to have me sing a song. So I sang Melancholy Baby to my dad a cappella. Fun. <laughs> That's but I, uh, I sing a lot of Judy Garland songs. I was just recently talking to some soap press friends who have been around as long as I have. Um, <laughs> we did a, my first summer as a, a soap star. We did um, a, a show at the Coconut Grove um, at the Ambassador Hotel in downtown L.A. when there was still a Coconut Grove, this famous restaurant nightclub that all the movie stars of the 30s and 40s and 50s went to. We did a, a fashion show. And all the soap stars wore fabulous fashions from famous movies. Well, I don't know if anybody in the 30s and 40s was a realistic size to <laughs> to the size I you know was Tracy Beth. You know, I'm, it, time has, times have changed, and I was not a thin, tiny girl. I couldn't fit in any of the costumes, so they asked me if I would sing. So at the Coconut Grove, I got to sing <laughs> "The Man That Got Away." first performed by Judy Garland and um, it was epic and, and people still remember it. And um, so, so mostly standards, old songs I love it. that mean yeah. a lot. I love it. Well, talk about singing with Michael, working with Michael and that triangle of you, uh, Tracy, 
uh, Danny and Lauren, Tracy Bregman. Yeah, it was it was a magical time. Um, we didn't know any better because we were in our 20s and we were just starting out and we were like on a soap opera and getting attention we'd never experienced before. And we just didn't know any better. But we would often go and pre-record at Capitol Records in Hollywood and we'd drive up to this the big round. Yeah, it looks like a stack of vinyl with a sundial on top. And I mean, these famous, famous recordings having been um, made there. And we didn't know. We just, okay, we'll be there at you know, 4.30 after work. And <clears throat> so we, we pre-recorded at magical rooms and with amazing musicians, uh, many of whom I'm still friends with, many of whom have gone on to play for Paul McCartney and Wings and huge world tours of all kinds of different, you know, amazing world-renowned musicians. Um, and the, the this was, it was such a magical time. We didn't, like I said, we didn't know any better. We didn't know until it was over, until the soap started, you know, leaving the the canvas and things started getting a little more desperate and and surprising that, that it wasn't going to go on forever. The stories were fun, but difficult and you know, classic, you know, fighting over men and <laughs> fighting over attention. And then we would do every summer these giant epic concerts where literally they did one a Sergeant Pepper style concert. And for Patty Weaver, who played Gina, Danny's mm -hmm. sister, sister, and and Michael and Tracy and I, they hand built costumes that looked like Sergeant Pepper costumes because the Beatles were, you know, had just issued this. Anyway, things like that, where they could, they had the time and the resources and the budget to be able to do these amazing, there would be a hundred extras. Now you're lucky if there's one person cleaning a table in the back of a restaurant. I mean, there just isn't time or budget for it anymore, but there would be like a hundred extras and, you know, smoke bombs and laser lights and amazing, amazing production values. Every department got to shine. Production, lighting, um, costumes, hair and makeup, everybody got to do their best work and and have a special treat to do something that that um, you only we only did once a year or whatever. It was it was a with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Magical time. And uh, Michael is hilarious. He is one of the funniest guys. He's a director now. I'm sure you know. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of uh, li- like Hallmark slash Lifetime movies. He just did a, a Christmas uh, um, film. He and his wife, who is a dancer and very talented as well, uh, have done a couple of dance movies. I love to go to their premieres and I always get to visit with them a little bit and catch up. Um, and uh, we he's hilarious, but taught me, I've said this before and recently, I can't remember where, there was no one better than Michael Damien at appreciating his fans. He would, every day if we walked out together, if there was somebody waiting for an autograph or a picture or a hello, he always, always stopped. He always shook hands and made eye contact and made it a special moment. And it really taught me he he always understood uh, how important the support of all of you really is to why we're even around. So he taught me lots of things about how to be respectful and appreciative of all of you and and the fact that you um, love us. I mean, it, it's um, it, uh, like I said, we wouldn't it's what makes our world spin. Absolutely. You just reminded me and I don't know. I, I, I was a page at ABC television. Um, and did many internships, but you know, was a fan of daytime. And I have a picture from the eighties with Michael, his hair down to here and probably my hair down to here as well. <laughs> <laughs> like real eighties hair. That's um, fantastic. Some event in New York. Um, awesome. Benjamin said, I hope during the 50th anniversary, it centers on Tracy creating a soap opera online using the history of Genoa city. I love that idea. That <gasps> What a great idea. <laughs> Isn't that a great idea? I love that. It is. It is. is. You know, uh, Tracy Bregman and you, this adversarial relationship all these years, you know, and then um, Gregory had asked what it was like to have her apologize for bullying you as a teen. But seriously, I mean, working with somebody you, you get along with so much, but having the writers really write, you know, we actually hope for more. We, uh, <laughs> she, she and I, that was a, an amazing day. Um, not only did the story come full circle, but we got to show through our characters how much we appreciate each other. Um, and, and it was an, it was an amazing closing of this circle of, kind of what would now be considered abuse, bullying and bullying, yeah. all kind. you know, she was the original storyteller for that before it was a thing, before anybody knew it was wrong. Everybody thought, oh, that's mean. But they thought they said mean. They didn't see the damn, you know, dear Evan Hansen. They didn't see yeah. the actual long lasting impact that these formative years being misunderstood and and being inappropriately singled out can cause lifelong damage. And so to have that kind of, to have, and, and to allow Tracy to forgive her and say, look, it's water under the bridge. You know, we've both grown up. We've both but been to, through a lot. To show the world forgiveness and, yes. and uh, a human being realize the errors of their ways. Mm-hmm. You know, in today's world, we don't see a lot of that. We and- don't. It's It's so, we live in a, a very aggressive defensive world and 
um, goodness and hope and forgiveness are all things that are almost behind closed doors. People are almost embarrassed to be filled with joy. It's the strangest dynamic in our culture right now. Um, and, and, you know, every day I'm hoping for, for healing, but, but you're absolutely right. And what Tracy and I have talked about a lot is in like coming up with ideas ourselves, um, like Gregory just did about, about the online soap. Um, we would love for there to be some reason for Tracy and Lauren to be thrown together and have to survive something with a few challenges where they continue to understand a reset button has to be pushed. We're not the same girls we used to be. We're women now. Stranded and we on an island together. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and fighting over coconuts. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it is our hope that, that we're not over yet. You uh, mentioned earlier how Don Diamant came over from Bold to say some nice things. Talk about the period where Tracy fell in love with Brad and, and working with him. Well, first of all, I think that it's Tracy's, the the greatest love of Tracy's life. And losing Brad, there were two, you know, every, every new set of writers and head writers put their, they, of course, want to do... Spin. Uh, right. And, but their stamp, they want to, to do something in the canvas that leaves a mark. And, but in my opinion, the loss of Jerry Douglas as John Abbott and the loss of Brad Carlton were two of the most significant things that happened certainly in, for the Abbott family. Um, but across the canvas in a negative way, um, Bill Bell used to talk to me about the ripple effect of story that one little occurrence of story has to ripple through the entire community. It has to affect people that you're not even in storylines with, perhaps. It has to have a very far-reaching effect for it to be successful. And um, those, two, those two losses were so significant and so negative, in my opinion. They really damaged the show instead of just leaving a mark. <clears throat> At any rate, back to Brad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I, um, it was also, I think really significant that Tracy always kind of ended up with unexpected hot guys. <laughs> I mean, here's this girl that we've already discussed that was sort of insecure and yeah. felt insignificant. And there's so much hope and magic in the underdog kind of winning, even if it's just for a little while, you know, Absolutely. and, and uh, it also, you know, uh, Brad and then, you know, sister conflict, he's with Ashley and then sister conflict, he's back with Tracy. I mean, so, there's so many dynamics to that, to that long standing relationship I had with, um, with Don, who is still my, one of my dearest friends. Um, I leave him notes in his dressing room when I get to be in his dressing room when Bold the Beautiful is on hiatus and he <laughs> leaves them on his bulletin board and he writes back to me. <laughs> and um, what some of the things he said, though, were that he, Don was a model first. I was an actor first. And so when he came to work at the show and was put with me, he he credits me for teaching him how to take the work seriously. And if that's an impact I made on him, I am so grateful he mentioned it, noticed it, and that I had that effect. Because daytime actors work harder than I think 
anybody. Maybe Broadway actors work as hard, but daytime actors have to consume sometimes 40 pages of dialogue every single day. At Young and Restless, we're dark on Mondays. We work Tuesday through Friday and we shoot six episodes in those four days. So you're 40 minutes worth or 45 minutes worth on TV. We shoot it, it in, in four days, at least six of those, uh, definitely five to make up for our Monday off. But then we have to plan ahead for things like holidays and uh, Christmas break or holiday break, um, things like that. So it's always a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. And it, it's one take and moving on. And I was joking with the new young actress, um, Kelsey Wang, who plays Allie. She said, what if you want to do it over? I said, you kind of have to fall down. You just have to fall, <laughs> fall down <laughs> because there's no time to do it over anymore. It, there's no time to work and develop a character and do five takes to see if the scene is going to work. It has to work the first time. So daytime actors work really, really hard. And, and so I, I take it really seriously and I, I have all kinds of little things I do as an actor to keep things fresh and to keep the audience kind of interested because Tracy's not a volatile. She's, it's not like watching Phyllis, you know, you, she's not exactly full of surprises, but I try to find something surprising in every scene that I do. That's sort of an unexpected interpretation of a line that's on the page. And I try to find a place she'll laugh that's unexpected or a, a, a place that she'll get emotional out of nowhere when someone wouldn't expect it. Um, I, so there are things that I do as personal challenges. Anyway, Don soaked up some of it and he gave me credit for it, which is so I love awesome. that. Yeah. The, the, um, the, but... the pool boy gave, gave you credit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, he still looks good in a bathing suit. I think <laughs> I can, I, I would imagine you, you mentioned, you know, the, the sister rivalry, you know, what was it like getting to celebrate this milestone with Eileen? I, it was perfectly appropriate. And both of us, I said, Eileen, I'm sorry that, you know, if they weren't, didn't give you your own special show. And she said, are you kidding? So that it couldn't be more perfect, more appropriate that girl, we literally started work. We started airing three days apart. We started work three days apart. We were brought in exactly the same week to be this new family. And why in the world wouldn't we want to celebrate together this gift of playing sisters for 40 years on and off, but 40 years. And, and uh, this really iconic family in this amazing show that will is about to celebrate its 50th anniversary this coming March. Um, the fact that we've been a part of it for, you know, four fifths of its life unbelievable and so we were delighted to share that stage i love that i love that how, you know how would you describe tracy's journey over these 40 years um well bumpy certainly because it's a soap opera um and and there are huge holes missing that the audience didn't get to be along for but what I very much hope and what I try to bring uh, when, I, when I'm there playing Tracy um, is all of the things that happen off stage, all of the things we don't see outside of the canvas that influence how we respond. Circumstances are not, don't, do not define us. How we respond to them defines us. And as with Tracy, now, after the loss of her daughter, the loneliness of no 
significant other in her life, the complete commitment to supporting her family, who is the center of her universe, to this um, sort of lone, <laughs> this island uh, of a woman, I, 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 Really, it's really important to me that that uh, Tracy has changed into someone who is secure, controlled, and yet uh, full of feeling and hope and joy, and and believes in the promise of tomorrow. Um, hoping that in the days to come for Tracy, there are a few surprises. Maybe, um, maybe she'll find love again. I don't know. Maybe um, she'll write that online soap opera. <laughs> <laughs> she'll write, she'll write a new program who didn't love the her writing a book and having it being the noir 1940s book happening in happening in the background with Kane and Billy and Lily all in black and white you know being detectives and that was so much fun maybe there'll be another Which is so perfect novel. for a, a, a woman who loves you know the that genre I actually, I, Josh Griffith is the writer, is our head writer, and he was the writer responsible for that story. He is a, a novelist also, and pitch for Josh, um, I have a whole stack of his novels, which are all detective-y, crime-y, noir-style novels. I'm a big fan of that as well. And I said, you know, Josh, you wrote me my Dear Mr. Gable speech. There was a scene with Kane on the patio at the coffee house where she grabs him by the lapels and it's like, ah, gee, Mr. Gable, I don't want to bother you. Guess lots of girls tell you the same thing. And she's holding his lapels and she kisses him. And it's like, oh my God, it was my dear Mr. Gable. I, I, I dreamed of this since I was 14 years old. <laughs> it was fantastic. So yes, you're right. It couldn't have been more appropriate. And I'm sorry it got cut a little bit short. Um, it, it, you know, politics happen and things happen, but Maybe there'll be another one and maybe it'll be a different style. Maybe we'll all be in a costume drama like like Downton Abbey. <laughs> we'll see. I don't know. Well, you, you need a musical. Oh, wouldn't that be something? That would be you, fantastic. You do. <laughs> um, I, I'm sure this is one of the, the more challenging, but, uh, losing Colleen. Um, but what were some of the most challenging stories for you over the years? That was certainly that was certainly one of them. I mean, that I would say that that was the work that I'm the most proud of. I think I cried for 30 episodes. <laughs> I don't think it was intended to go on that long. Um, but there were other things, like I said, politics, the things happening behind the scenes. There were contract negotiations that postponed uh, finishing that storyline as soon as uh, as they had planned. I think, and so it went on and on and on, and. I think it's some of the best work I've done in my life. And I didn't understand because I'm off and on, off and on the, the uh, politics and process of the Emmys at that time. It used to be the show nominated you. And now we nominate ourselves through the show. It's a, every year it changes, but um, I I'm disappointed. I didn't uh, nominate myself uh, for an Emmy for that process because that was a really challenging storyline, but as simple as they were, it was really hard to play some of those early weight storylines. The bulimia storyline was really, really difficult for me personally, um, because although it it definitely made a point and told a story and made a difference to so many people, surprisingly, it made a difference to people who saw it and evaluated their own behavior, their own circumstances, their own lives, and made changes. Um, it, at a time when it wasn't popular, there was there was not a an, there was no internet, so you couldn't just go on a helpline or, you know, look it up online and find ways to to solve your problem. You didn't know to go to a 
go to therapy or to get help. There was no, there was no, there were no resources mm -hmm. then. And this was a really burgeoning, bizarre story. And it was very difficult to play because it was also the butt of a number of jokes. It was, um, it's hard to play something where you're made fun of because you don't you, but it, but it brings home more clearly the importance of telling those stories for the people that are experiencing that. It's like bullying, like what we were talking about with mm -hmm. bullying back then, it wasn't considered wrong. It was just, it was a little mean and, you know, but kind of everybody did it and, you know, it, it's not human. It's not uh, healthy. And, and so in a similar way, those early like diet pill addiction and stuff, those things were uh, desperate and um, they were difficult to play. And can have serious effects that, that mean bullying, you know, we didn't hear about it a lot back then before the internet, but you know, teen suicides and, and kids exactly. taking, taking their own lives because of that form of meanness and bullying and that's um, the, and that my Tracy suicide attempt is what was on my Emmy reel the year that I won um, against women in their thirties and forties that had been on soap operas for decades. And here's this new girl, but with a really interesting and different story to tell. And, and on that topic, we can't do anything about the stories we tell. We can only tell them. As an actor, we're given a script and that's what you do. It, you don't get to negotiate well, this makes me feel uncomfortable. Can we do it a little differently? You don't get to negotiate that. You get to take the material and make it alive. So right. the, the writers are paid to, to do their part. That's right. And you're paid to do yours. So, and there's a lot of fan misunderstanding and blame and stuff in, in the stories that we are obligated to tell that we have no control over. <laughs> Yeah, you don't. I mean, the fans sometimes think, you know, actors have those controls, but you don't. Yeah, you, you do. The, you you do your best to to make it work, and you do. And that's an actor's challenge. You know, the, um, we we don't even. It is very rare that you are. We're never asked for our ideas of where we'd like to go, but it is very rare that you are allowed an opportunity to pitch something. You know, so so uh, we again are just our our job is to take the material on the page and to to deliver a a, a life from a two dimensional page. So hope, I feel so much support and love that I feel like I've pretty much been successful at that. And, and, but every day the challenge is to keep it real, to keep it true, to keep it fresh and to keep providing these lovely people who tune in all the time to keep our world spinning uh, uh, something, something that is meaningful. I love that. We've gotten kind of yeah. heavy here, Alan. <laughs> we have, we have. Well, I, I want to go back to Kelsey. So, okay. you know, I told you I was laid off at the beginning of the pandemic. I, I worked for a TV and movie tour company. I okay. hired, I believe, Kelsey Wang to be our tour guide for our Gossip Girl tour in New York City. Is that right? Yes. And I'm so excited. She's going to come on the show in a couple of weeks or sometime in August. Um, tell me about working with Kelsey. She is a delight. She is adorable. And it's super fun because someone gave her the note. I mean, it, what an overwhelming thing <laughs> to walk <laughs> into this. And, and 
not just get a few weeks to break in, you know, an episode or two, and then a couple scenes here and there. She was buried in work. She was in every, you know, she really was <laughs> buried when she started and she survived it. And it's been really fun. She'll, she was given the note that she and Tracy have a special relationship and it's very maternal because we haven't seen the inferred difficult relationship we have that, that Allie has with her real mother. So Tracy is sort of a surrogate as she often does taking in strays. And um, so we've had lovely chats about how to develop that kind of a friendship, a relationship, how they, um, how they banter, how um, Allie is, although completely feels the outcast is surprisingly like so many people that are members of her family. She never knew she had, we have so much fun. And she comes to me and asks occasional acting tips and stuff like that, because she's never done a daytime show and it's, it's a little overwhelming. And again, the I'm, advice fall down if you need to do it over. <laughs> yeah. I love that. But I'm, you know, thinking of that, you know, you know, put yourself in Kelsey's shoes, you know, when you started in 1982, much slower process right. of doing the hour show. You know, what do you think your, you know, Beth's, uh, you know, if you had fear in 1982, what do you think you would have in 2022 if that was your first, you know, foray into it? Well, um, at, at my age now, there's a lot less that ruffles me. <laughs> <laughs> So if, I, if all things were equal, equal and I was starting now, it would have been yeah. challenging for a couple of days just to know how it's supposed to all go. But I would have been fine. But she's this is apples and oranges. She's my yeah. age when I started back then. And it was it was challenging. And even at a slower pace, we were still in three days a week, you know, right off yeah. the bat. Um, and the, the pace of developing story is not necessarily the difference in the amount of words, because we still had 40, 40 page days. It was just we got three or four or five takes if we needed them to get it right. And so her challenge is doing it in one or two takes the way she intended right off the bat. And working with Victor Newman, working with <laughs> Jack Abbott, working with all of these intimidating and like seasoned veterans you know, she, I think it's a little daunting to walk into that. And she is handling it magnificently. Um, also, it's very difficult right off the bat to handle a romance. And um, mm. so that's uh, another challenge for a girl who not only culturally, but personally is a little shy to, and I relate to that completely, to be thrown into something where you have to develop a relationship with a perfect stranger you've only known two weeks. It's hard <laughs> to do. And she's surviving yeah. it. She's and and make us believe it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Right. Um, right. I don't know this person's name, but they said, Trace's character gave me strength and hope. I was a child with a visual disability and I felt different than other girls. Watching her on the screen helped me a lot. Thank you. Bless your heart. And it is my great pleasure to have only been a small part in your absolute survival. Um, another connection. I worked on Mr. Holland's Opus. You did? I, was, I worked uh, for Disney in their movie division in okay. PR. 
So I did PR for the film in New York. Wow. Wow. Great, great movie. It is a great movie. And my high school drama teacher, not the one that moved to California, there were two. And <laughs> the one that was more like a father figure to me was so excited that I was telling even a small part, because I wasn't a very big role, but it was a little small part of being able to tell that story about performance, about what it, Mr. Holland's great work of his life, the how music and performing music um, changes people, young people with dreams. I mean, everything that movie is about my young life in my very elaborate for the time and very, I'm so blessed to have been where I was during those, those days. When I was in high school, it was not uncommon for us to do uh, um, like eight plays a year. We had a repertory season where we did two wow. or three shows in repertory for several weeks in the spring. Every year we did a musical. Every summer we did a summer program that was usually a classic uh, like Shakespeare or uh, we did Gilbert and Sullivan one year, but it was, uh, uh, we did The Crucible, I think was maybe my first play. Um, we, we So it, we were, we did a fall straight play. So we were in a, in a beautiful theater and with, with fly space and backdrops and set building and costume construction. My first couple of years in the program, I made pilgrims costumes out of people's drapes. <laughs> I was so fortunate to get thrown into the deep end in a very thriving, very active theatrical uh, environment. And it was, it was due to these two teachers I've already mentioned and very much like Mr. Holland, it was it was so great mm. to have actually had a very small part in that movie and been able to really um, continue the presentation of how important those things are in young lives. Love that. Uh, Maggie from Puerto Rico shared that story. Thank you, Maggie. Um, Thank you, Maggie. About, about Tracy. Um, a fan wrote, you mentioned politics and story. Curious how we Tracy fans can get you and Tracy on our screen more. Many of us watch for Tracy and there are too many days without you on our screens. Oh, thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. And the great news is I'm told that the Abbott family are being uh, committed to and rebuilt so that for our 50th anniversary of the show, all of the major families are fleshed out in Genoa City and there are surprises ahead. I, I, don't know what they are, so I can't even give you <laughs> spoiler alerts. But apparently, this is going to be a pretty exciting year to come. 50 is a big deal. Yeah, it is. You know, and especially, you know, as you mentioned, with only four left on the air, it's even more so, you yes. know, a big deal. Yeah. Beth, a pleasure to meet you. <laughs> pleasure. Thank you, Alan. I had some congratulations. So much Thank you. I've had so much fun chatting with you and you are also a pleasure. This has been a really, really fun part of my day. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. You stay well and here's to 40 more. Yay. <laughs> Bye. Bye. Have a great Thank afternoon. You. Bye. You're much so love. welcome. Much love back. <laughs> Thanks everybody for joining us today. Please tune in to The Young and the Restless and Beth Maitland every weekday, Monday through Friday on CBS. Please join me next week when Emmy Award winner Kristen Alderson from One Life to Live joins me for a live one-on-one -on -one interview. Please subscribe to my YouTube channel down below if you haven't. Turn on the notifications 
for reminders of all upcoming shows. And don't forget, you can download audio versions on all your favorite streaming platforms. Just search The Locker Room and you can download them there. Have a great weekend. As always, please stay safe, everybody. Bye-bye.